Good evening, fellow lover of the strange and unusual. I'm Jessica Hobbs, author of the story you are about to enjoy. This tale is part of a collection of short stories titled The Witch and Other Tales of the American Gothic, an assemblage of strange occurrences across the complicated patchwork of 19th century America, which is now finally available in paperback. If you have found your way here, you, like me, might frequently find yourself pondering the what-ifs that fuel our deepest fears. What if there really is a monster in the forest? What if the worst aspects of ourselves lead us to our painful demise? What if our very worst enemy lives in the mirror? Today's episode is a tale of betrayal, anger, and a desperate attempt at self-preservation at any cost, set against the heavy vibes of the woods of South Carolina. Though it's impossible to pick a favorite in all the splendid pieces of music composed by my husband, Robinson Hobbs, I must say I find this score to be particularly beguiling. Run away and join the circus with us for the story of the acrobat. Acrobat. Somewhere in South Carolina, 1841. Natalia danced. When the cannons fired in the distance, Natalia danced. When her baby brother cried from hunger, Natalia danced. When her mother left red marks on her backside, lashing out at her for God only knew what, Natalia danced. Her little town of Surrette suffered greatly under the rule of the Habsburgs. The people went hungry, and the soldiers laughed at their pain. Natalia was the child her family ignored. Her oldest sister, Marquetta, was a grown-up in her eyes, shouldering the responsibility of caring for the younger ones while Mommy and Daddy took turns scrounging for food or drinking away what little money they had. Next were the twins, Stas and Vanya, boys who lived together in a community of two, as inseparable now as they had been in Mommy's womb. Then there was Natalia, then little Misha, the cub who still needed Mommy every second, and who was too small for the grown-ups to look upon with frustration and resentment. Natalia danced. Every time she heard music coming from another flat, or even when she didn't. Eventually, Mommy and Daddy noticed her, realized that the town was just as hungry for any kind of entertainment as it was for food, and brought Natalia outside to dance in the streets. People tossed coins into Daddy's hat, and sometimes the twins would sneak around in the crowd, scavenging for anything in unattended bags or pockets, as onlookers watched the amateur ballerina twist and spin and stretch her body to the rhythm of the songs the congregation would sing for her. She didn't mind at first. Even outside in the snow, when the days were short and the crowds were small, it was still better than being cooped up in their empty flat, drowning in the sounds of grown-ups shouting and children crying. But the older she got, the more unfair it felt that Mommy and Daddy would keep all the coins for themselves, sometimes buying whatever food they could for the family, but more often than not, disappearing for hours to find sad parties thrown in dingy basements to hide from the occupying forces. Rumors swirled about neighbors who saved their pennies and fled to better places. Any place would be better than this, and Natalia wanted to find one more than she had ever wanted anything. But she was going to need money to do it. Money that she earned but never saw for herself. Sometimes the injustice made her chest burn with anger, but she had learned the hard way to keep it buried inside her. One day, she lost control of herself and argued with Mommy. It was cold and windy, and Natalia felt tired and sore from the dancing she had done the night before. She told Mommy no, and Mommy yelled at her. Then Natalia made the horrid mistake of yelling back. Mommy hit her on the side of the head with a tin pot, the only one they owned. Crusty bits of rice from the meager supper they had shared the night before stuck to her hair, and Mommy did not even let her clean up before shoving her out the door to dance again in the snow, with blood trickling down the side of her face. She danced in a shroud of humiliation and anger. It loomed over her, pressing down on her shoulders and throat. She held back tears. She hated them with all her being. But she danced. 
She trailed behind her parents and siblings as they walked home that night, and wondered how far she would make it in the woods with her small, tattered shoes and no food or water, if she decided to make a run for it all alone. The shadow grew heavy. Then, she heard a voice. Good evening, Pasarea Calibri, he said to her. Pasarea Calibri meant little hummingbird, and the comparison filled her with joy. This stranger in the night saw her as a colorful, delicate creature that spent its life fluttering between beautiful things. He instantly had her attention. You are a lovely dancer, he continued. He spoke her native language, but with a heavy English accent. Natalia, unaccustomed to being spoken to by anyone but her parents, and in any tone but a harsh one, did not respond, but simply nodded. Would you like to take a walk with me? She glanced at her building at the end of the block, the grey concrete box with a faint candlelight shining from their corner flat. Just for a few minutes, a lap around the building, nothing more. The lap around the building proved to be the most important few moments of Natalia's life. By the time they arrived at her front door, Natalia had learned that the stranger's name was F.W. Scott and that he was a businessman from London who ran something called a circus, a cacophony of exotic animals and acts of wonder, dancers who could contort their bodies into unnatural shapes, acrobats who flew through the air on a web of ropes and wires, and even mystics who read minds to tell the audiences what awaited them in their future. He was traveling through Europe to find talent and was lucky enough to find this little hummingbird here, in the middle of nothing. Best of all, the new circus Mr. Scott had in mind was not intended to stay in London, but would tour all over America. And in addition to room and board, Natalia would be granted a small salary for her contributions should she decide to accept his invitation. To Natalia, it sounded like pure magic. Without hesitation, Natalia met him at the edge of town the next morning, and never looked back. Mr. Scott had more scouting to do around Eastern Europe, so he sent her on a wagon with a guide, who hardly spoke two words to her the entire journey, to London to meet his American business partner, Harrison Monroe. As the cart finally pulled up outside a grand hotel, he stood outside waiting for her, as if he somehow knew the exact moment she had been due to arrive. He was a tall, blonde man with bright blue eyes and wore a purple vest with a white ascot, quite the contrast to the sea of grey suits and bonnets worn by the other Londoners. Their eyes locked as soon as Natalia stepped off the wagon, uneasy after so many grueling days and nights on such a hard, uncomfortable surface. She glided to him and looked up as he towered over her. You must be our new little hummingbird. Welcome, Natalia. He studied her for a moment, her pale face, unwashed hair, tattered clothes, and frail body. He gently touched the scar on her temple where Mommy had hit her. What happened here? He asked cautiously. She did not know how to answer in her own tongue, let alone in her fractured grasp of the English language. The best response she could manage was a subtle shrug. I have a salve for that. It will help the scar fade. I also imagine you must be hungry, though I'm afraid you are not dressed for any respectable restaurant. Come up to my room, we'll get you a proper bath and meal, and then I'll take you to find a dress or two before we leave tomorrow. Mr. Monroe's room was luxury as Natalia had never imagined. There was a large white wash basin full of hot water, and a collection of soaps that smelled better than any flowers that bloomed in Surrette in the summer. Mr. Monroe gave her a silk robe to wear when she was done, and when she finally emerged from the washroom, her dinner had been prepared and set out for her on a table covered in white linen. As she ate the generous helping of roast pork, green vegetables, and freshly baked bread, a wave of exhaustion overcame her and she longed to rest in the bed across the room that was larger than the straw mattress she had shared with all four of her siblings. Mr. Monroe, seated across the table from her and sipping on a glass of expensive whiskey, seemed to read her mind. The ship for America leaves tomorrow evening. That will give you plenty of time for a good night's rest and to find some proper clothes before we set sail with the others. 
Natalia had assumed there would be others since Mr. Scott had been sending talent to Mr. Monroe from all over Europe. She wondered why they were not here in this hotel room with them, but her mouth was too full of food for her to bother asking. Of course I'll need to see what you can do first. I'll need to see you dance. And see your body. And I'll need to see if you can handle the physical exertion of the job. Even though she understood perhaps half of the English words he spoke to her, she knew exactly what he meant. She hadn't done it before, but was not so sheltered that she did not understand what it was or how men in his position used their authority to obtain it. The occupying soldiers in Surette had done as much to most girls in the village, and Natalia figured that her exit had come at just the right time to avoid being subjected to such behavior herself. At least in this situation, she was gaining something from it. Mr. Monroe gave her a sip of his whiskey to steady her nerves. Then she disrobed for him and did all that he asked. He held up his end of the bargain afterwards. The next day, freshly bathed, rested, and wearing a new dress, she and a handful of others, whose talents were not yet obvious enough for her to know, set sail for America. Time passed very quickly in the years that followed. She and the rest of the circus renegades lived in decorated wagons pulled by horses, jaunting from tiny town to tiny town, never quite knowing where they were or what day it was. Some days there would be wind and snow, other days scorching sun and heat. Some days she opened the wagon door to see the tent go up against a backdrop of majestic mountains, and on other days the nothingness behind it seemed to stretch on to the end of the earth. Americans were particularly preoccupied with exotic animals, and this circus had a menagerie not to be seen in most other places in the country. But Mr. Monroe's vision was to expand far beyond simple viewing, as one could do in a museum, and entertain the masses with talents and oddities. At present, the circus also featured Madame Lucille, the fortune teller, Siamese twins Otto and Orson, a man covered in tattoos that had since turned green all over his body, Mr. Monroe would oscillate between exhibiting him as the tattooed man or as Irving the Lizard King. Davy and Mikos, who juggled with dangerous objects like fire or knives. And Belinda the Snake Charmer, who had joined her on the ship to America some time ago, and who had, unbeknownst to Natalia, brought four pit vipers with her in her suitcase that had thankfully never escaped. At the center of it all was Natalia, the last act of every evening, the star of the show. Natalia had been traveling across America for years, and in that time she had mastered every act that Harry—she called him Harry now—had asked of her and created many more. She walked on tightropes, performed pirouettes on the backs of elephants, spun in circles in giant hoops that dangled from the rafters, and lifted her fellow circus workers high into the air as if she were lifting a doll. She did it all wearing a tight corset and pointed canvas shoes, covered in bright makeup with ribbons in her hair, and she loved it. Her favorite act of all was the trapeze. Swinging from one bar to the next, she defied the laws of heaven and earth, and the thrill of it meant nothing else in the world existed in those precious moments. She was an angel, a goddess, a hummingbird. The act had expanded from two horizontal bars to seven, with a wooden platform on either side and a rope ladder to climb up and down. It was simple, but it was all Natalia needed. She would swing and leap from one bar to the next, weightless and unafraid of the prospect of falling to the ground below. It was only when she set foot back on solid ground, when the audience would erupt in applause and sometimes even throw flowers at her feet, that Natalia would remember the presence of other people inside the giant canvas tent. The recognition was a welcome change for Natalia. She kept the flowers and hung them in her dressing room long after they died. Her vanity was covered in pink, red, and yellow rose petals and beautiful shades of eyeshadow and rouge. If not in the air or practicing alone outside, Natalia could be found here among her collection of brightly colored costumes and her very large mirror. Oh, how she loved that mirror. 
Mommy never kept one in the cold, empty flat back in Surrette, and until she joined the circus, she had been entirely unfamiliar with the sight of her own face. Even now, years after she had left that hopeless little town, she couldn't get enough of it. She spent some of her meager earnings from the circus on more exotic makeup and changed the way her face looked, painting diamond shapes around her eyes and hearts on her cheekbones. Before she had this mirror, she didn't even know the color of her own eyes. Now she leaned over candles at all hours of the night, staring into the galaxy of brown and gray and even little bits of green here and there. The scar on her temple had faded, leaving only a faint white line where the damage had been. The woman Natalia saw in the mirror was not the girl who had danced in the snow in Surette. Harry came by to visit from time to time. For the first few years, she longed for him when she slept alone at night, especially in the winter months and resented every new girl who received the same treatment from Harry as she had in the London hotel room. Once the news of the circus had spread through certain parts of the country, Harry no longer found the need to travel to Europe in search of dancers. Now, Americans with talent to showcase came to him, and Harry had his pick of any young woman he wanted on a given night. Nowadays, he came to her bed only when he was experiencing a spell of boredom or loneliness, and otherwise, he only came to her dressing room to pay her at the end of the week. Circus performers came and went from one season to the next. Some were rebellious runaways who joined to upset their parents, then went right back home when their point had been sufficiently proven. Some tired of the lifestyle and picked a dusty town in which to meet a handsome farm boy and settle down. Others moved on to new jobs. Many never offered an explanation at all. Natalia didn't bother getting attached to any of them. She didn't see the point. Save for her own reflection, she mostly kept to herself. A relatively new woman named Ida was someone she considered a friend, however, someone she even admired. Who wouldn't admire her? She was a lion tamer with the grace of a princess, the courage of a warrior, and the showmanship required to handle a wild beast and a hungry audience at the same time. She was one of the few young women who had not been made a temporary companion to Harry upon her arrival. So impressive was her skill with the lion— Harry needed no further convincing. Even without the lion at her side, Ida was striking. Her wavy blonde hair was cut short and fell just below her ears, and due to the nature of her work, she always wore pants and equestrian boots like a lady, or like a gentleman, for that matter. It was Ida who brought her the upsetting news that day. The circus had been traveling around a land called South Carolina, and though Natalia was not in the habit of keeping track of where she had visited or how many times she had been there, she knew she hadn't toured through this place before. Something about this locale struck her as unusual. It was warm here near the forests and the swamps. The humid air would hug her tighter and tighter, as if this were a place that wanted to wrap itself around her and never let her go. The trees seemed to open up and make room for the canvas tent, embracing it with their low-hanging branches. The moss that draped from them swayed gently in the wind, and Natalia was overcome with the feeling that there were secrets in those trees, secrets they wanted her to know. Something about those trees made Natalia think of the woods behind her village, the ones she had stared into every day and every night on her way to and from her corner on the street, longing to run to them, no matter what danger may have lurked behind them. This land looked nothing like the dreary, brittle woods in Surette, but there was a weight to it that Natalia knew all too well. It was a world that held a restless agony underneath its stillness, a place as burdened by its own antiquity as she was. Natalia awoke late that morning, slightly sore from her trapeze act the night before. They were done with whatever town this was and preparing to head on to the next. Large gray clouds hung low in the sky and threatened to rain, which sent the workers scrambling to pack everything and get a move on. It seemed to be taking an extra long time for them today, but Natalia didn't care. She sat at her vanity, wrapped in one of her silk robes, and stared into her reflection, gently basking in the soft light of such a dreary day. She wished she could bottle the intoxicating scent of the mossy trees and rain, and keep it on her vanity with her many other perfumes in their delicate glass bottles. She carefully brushed her long, curly hair, 
the ringlets as tight as ever thanks to the heavy moisture in the air, then lathered her hands with lotion and took in the smell of the rain and the rose petals around her, when Ida entered, holding a tin cup of hot coffee. Natalia and her reflection both turned to look at her. Good morning, doll, Ida said. Natalia liked it when Ida called her that. It wasn't as good a nickname as Hummingbird, but it still made her feel delicate and special. Ida handed her the coffee and she drank. I suppose you've heard the news? News? Natalia shook her head. Ida pulled out a cigarette from the pocket of her jacket and lit it with a match. Half our workers left last night. I expect more will follow suit today. She took a long drag and exhaled a heavy sigh of resignation. Monroe won't be paying us anymore. Not for a while, at least. Without warning, Natalia was transported right back to the streets of Surette, dancing for a drunk and unruly crowd while her parents pocketed everything she had earned. America had not had an easy time of it lately, she knew. The papers called it the Panic of 1837, and while she didn't understand what their banks had done or why the situation unfolded the way it had, she knew it resulted in a smaller number of onlookers at her shows. But that had been a few years ago now, and the attendance was creeping back up to normal. More importantly, audiences were no less impressed by Natalia's achievements. She was doing her part, and if Harry wasn't going to pay her for it, he was weaseling out of their deal. It was as simple as that. Natalia slammed her tin cup on the vanity, splashing coffee onto some of her treasures. I know, doll. I'm mad at the son of a bitch myself. Why? Why would he do this? Ida took another drag and shrugged. All I heard was something about more circuses cropping up around the country and touring even farther than ours. One supposedly goes all the way from Montreal to Havana, so he won't be paying us until we step up our acts and compete. Thunder suddenly rumbled across the countryside and rain began to wash over the wagon. Natalia hardly noticed. She had never heard of places called Montreal or Havana, and she didn't care where they were or how many circuses went there. She had a job to do, and she had been doing it. The business end of the circus was Harry's problem, not hers. But what choice did she, or any of them, have? The sideshow acts in particular had nowhere to go, so they would be staying put no matter what. In truth, the promise of a roof and a hot meal was plenty to keep most of them around. Now, years after she had felt it on that cold night after Mommy hit her, here it was again. That heavy feeling of the shadow pressing down on her shoulders and tightening around her throat. But no one was going to come out from the darkness to save her this time. Take a raincoat, at least! It was the last thing Natalia heard Ida shout to her over the pouring rain as she stomped away from her wagon. Puddles formed as quickly as her bare feet made holes in the mud, soaking her legs in the bottom of her robe. The air was thicker than molasses and the mossy trees behind their camp seemed to sink under the weight of it. The remaining workers did their best to load up the last of the wagons and hitch up the horses, preparing to point them to the nearest dirt road and onto their next adventure, supposing, of course, the wagon wheels would budge in this muck. She walked straight past the enormous elephant cage, the gorillas, the bear, and Ida's lion, which she affectionately referred to as Oscar, past the fortune teller, the illusionist, and the fire jugglers, until she reached Harry's office and stormed inside without bothering to knock. Tally, my goodness, you're soaked to the bone. She glared at him. Even though each wagon was exactly the same in size and texture, Harry's office which also happened to be his bedroom, though there had never been much of a difference between the two, somehow seemed darker than hers. His desk and furniture were all stained brown or black. Even the silver-framed mirror on the wall seemed to have a darker hue. But Harry liked to keep fresh flowers in the office, and the pink roses on a small table near the door were a welcome touch. Harry checked his pocket watch. We're leaving any moment now. You'd better get back to your wagon, lest you'd be stranded outside. No, she said, trying to keep her voice steady. I will stay here until you pay me for the week. He gave her a sly smile and took a seat on an overly stuffed chair in the corner. 
I suppose you've heard the news of our financial troubles. I do not care for your financial troubles. People come, people pay, people watch. You pay me. This is our relationship. She held out the palm of her hand. He looked at her with pity. Oh, Tali, darling, look at you. Dripping wet, freezing to the bone, your hair covering your pretty face. Palm outstretched, asking for pennies. I imagine you looked this way for so much of your life back in Sirith. You poor thing. I do not need sympathy. I need money. What for? Hmm? Why do you need money? Do you think you will settle down someday and buy a little plot of land, build a little cabin, become a dairy farmer or something of the sort? <laughs> Darling, you have everything you need here and you know that. We're a family. And sometimes we need to make sacrifices for the good of the rest of the family, don't we? The family Natalia had had before was bad enough, and she did not find herself in need of another one now. Harry leaned back and crossed his legs, making himself more comfortable. Tolly, when I was a young man, my father worked as a printer for a small newspaper. And as soon as I was old enough to handle the machinery, he brought me to work for him. And the town we lived in was small. So small, in fact, that when a case of influenza broke out among us, the population drastically decreased in a matter of weeks. My father was one of those lost to the epidemic and I found myself as a boy of 13 working twice as hard for a newspaper that was now on the brink of financial ruin. I was one of the few printers left. I worked until midnight, slept in a broom closet, and rose at dawn to do it all again, and I never complained. We make sacrifices for our work in America, Tolly. We do what we must for the good of the company, and when all is said and done, we are stronger for having done it. Her throat tightened. What was the word in English? She couldn't find the word for a human snake. You must be cold. We'll be leaving soon, but since you're here, why not stay until our next stop? You can keep warm here with me. Harry stood up. He pulled at the sleeve of her soaking wet robe and touched her bare shoulder. Behind him, Natalia could see her reflection in the mirror on the wall. Her own eyes were staring into the back of his head, and before she knew it, her reflection reached out for Harry's neck. She hadn't even felt her own arms move, but suddenly she had her hands tightening around his throat. Whoa there, Calibri. Take it easy. Oh, such a <coughs> strong grip for a delicate hummingbird. Natalia immediately relented, unsure of what had come over her. You like it soft and slow, remember? He leaned in to kiss her and she shoved him away, storming out of the wagon and slamming the door behind her. The second she stepped into the mud, she slipped and fell. The rain was still coming down hard, and the thick, fragrant air suddenly felt oppressive. As she tried to stand and find her balance, she heard the crack of a whip. No, 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 no! She cried to no one in particular. The horses began to clip-clop their way through the mud toward those huge, mossy trees that seemed to form a tunnel on the road ahead. She ran to her wagon and scrambled to open the door. Her hand slipped off the knob and she nearly fell into the mud again, but she regained her composure and sprinted faster, leapt for the door once more, and managed to yank it open and dive inside as the caravan rolled away. Natalia's own brown eyes stared back at her that night. A small part of her wanted to refuse to perform until Harry paid her what was owed and promised to never betray her again. But that side of her was silenced by simple logic. Harry would do what he wanted, and Natalia had no recourse to convince him otherwise. Fixated on the sight of her own reflection, her mind darted back and forth between empathy for Harry's situation and a hot, seething rage. If it weren't for Harry, I would have starved back in Siret. I am the star of the show. The circus is nothing without me. It is expensive to feed and care for all of us. 
We do this for a living, not just for food. And Harry knows this. It's not his fault that times are hard, nor is it mine. A soft knock at the door interrupted her argument with herself. Natalia turned her head toward the sound, unaware that her reflection did not follow suit. Come in. Strong crowd tonight, Ida said, and Natalia's heart welled with anger. A strong crowd meant a lucrative show, and a lucrative show meant Harry was a liar. You're up next. You look beautiful, Ida told her. Natalia knew this to be the truth. I guess your talk with Monroe didn't go so well? Ida asked, and Natalia's silence was all the answer she needed. Uh, don't let him get you down. Just do your act for the audience, not for him. Why aren't you angry? Natalia asked, almost as an accusation. I am. I'm just not surprised. Why do you think I spend all my time with the lions? They're a hell of a lot easier than men. Natalia looked back in the mirror once more, and was suddenly confused when she glimpsed the scar on her temple. It was much more obvious than she had noticed in a very long time. Ida, look here, she instructed. Do you see a scar? Ida looked closely. Not much of one. A tiny line, I suppose, but I never would have noticed it myself. Outside, applause erupted. The previous act was done, and Natalia was up. Natalia took her place at the top of the ladder just as the fire jugglers took their final bow. She gently closed her eyes and allowed the cheering crowd to melt away into nothingness. All Natalia could hear in that moment was the sound of her own breath. Her hand stretched out ahead of her in anticipation for their contact with the first bar on the trapeze. And on the very first note played by the violins below, she fell from the platform, trusting them to lead her into her aerial ballet. Back and forth she swung. She dangled in the air in her ballerina pose, pointing her toes and doing pirouettes on an invisible stage. She twirled and stretched and did somersaults as if the earth below her did not even exist. She wrapped both legs around the bar and hung upside down, her arms reaching out to the side, and arched her back enough to grab her feet, forming her body into a circle. She began to rock back and forth, slowly at first, then enough to send her body so high in the air her hair nearly grazed the top of the canvas tent. It was daring and dangerous to swing so high and with such momentum, especially with her head dangling below the rest of her body, but she held her form until, in one rapid motion, she let go. She flipped her body to have her feet come below her, preparing to land back on the wooden pedestal in a pose that most resembled a hummingbird descending onto a flower. But suddenly, Against Ida's advice and her own intentions, she thought of Harry. My passaria colibri, he said to her in her mind. Her eyes shot open, and for the briefest second, she thought she saw another acrobat on the platform across from her, posing in the same pirouette as Natalia. She gasped. Her steady breathing was interrupted, and she lost her balance, crashing against the edge of the platform, then tumbled down to the ground below and landed hard against the dirt. Natalia had managed to position her body to land as softly as possible, resulting, fortunately, in a bad sprain and nothing more. A part of her felt disappointed by the inevitable boredom she would face by being cooped up in her room and away from the tent, but a much more powerful side of her felt incredibly smug. Harry wouldn't have his star for a week or two, and that served him right. A tiny scratching noise came from the other side of the wagon door. So soft, Natalia paid it no mind until it was followed by a yowling sound. Curious, she pushed herself up off the bed and hopped on her stronger foot to open the door. A small black cat came darting inside. It sniffed around on the floor for a moment, and upon finding an acceptable spot, sat down and looked directly up at Natalia. What do you want? she asked the feline. 
I have no food for you. Shoo! 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 She gestured toward the open door, but the cat lay down on its side, making itself more comfortable. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw her reflection in the vanity mirror, its gaze also landing on the cat in the middle of the floor. But for a quick moment, Natalia's reflection appeared to smile at it. Another storm appeared to be forming over the countryside, and as the wind picked up and soared through those heavy trees, Natalia could swear she heard whispering in the woods. Not words, not exactly, but soft, mournful cries. She shivered. Natalia was not so heartless as to cast the poor little animal out in the wind and the rain, and there was no point to standing here with an open door and having a staring contest with a cat. She shut the door and hobbled back to her position on the bed with her foot propped up on a pillow. The cat jumped up and cuddled beside her, gently purring as it nuzzled itself under her arm. She scratched its chin and quickly came around to the idea of the cat staying with her for more than just a stormy night. When Natalia awoke the next morning, the cat was sitting on her vanity, staring into the mirror. She thought for a brief moment of bringing back a bowl of milk for it when she retrieved her own breakfast, but the thought was quickly extinguished by a surge of pain from her foot. It was far more swollen than it had been the night before, and without a crutch or a cane, there was no way she would be able to walk in search of a meal. Natalia was not stupid. She had seen enough old ladies back in Sarette to know that bodies did not stay young and beautiful forever. They wore out after years of hard labor, hunger, childbearing, and drinking. Some of the old ladies couldn't even walk to church anymore and relied on their children to care for them as if they were helpless little babies. Natalia had no children of her own and no intentions to breed, which meant that when her own body aged and refused to perform in the manner she had for so many years, she would be alone in the world. And this was why Natalia needed money. She would not turn into one of those old ladies, nor into a mean, miserable thief like Mommy or Daddy. She had built her livelihood on her talent and would not let it slip away from her. Not yet. Not while she was still young enough to make her own money fair and square. She sat up and winced as she moved her foot to the floor. She wouldn't be able to make it to the breakfast tent, but at the very least, she needed to find water. As she carefully lifted herself to stand, her reflection came into view. Spooked, the cat suddenly hissed. Not at her, but at the mirror. Natalia hopped over to the vanity on her good foot, and the cat became even more agitated, arching his back and letting out a low growl. Oh, hush! Natalia snapped at him as she took her seat. The cat looked at her, then at the mirror, then jumped off the vanity and ran underneath Natalia's bed. Her door opened slowly. Knock, knock. Thought you might need this. Ida held up a bowl of porridge and a tin mug of coffee. Natalia's heart swelled. Ida had thought to help without Natalia even asking, and it dawned on her now that no one had ever done such a thing before, not without expecting something in return, like Harry had. A hint of suspicion suddenly flashed through her mind, as if she were waiting for Ida to ruin the moment with a demand of some kind. Are you all right there, doll? Natalia snapped out of it and reached for the food. Yes, fine. Uh, I am hungry. It was a cold, lumpy pile of mush that bordered on inedible, but Natalia ate it anyway. Let's take a look at what we have here, shall we? Ida gently lifted up Natalia's swollen foot and set it on the vanity in front of her. Oh, darling, that looks just awful. Does it feel as bad as it looks? <laughs> yes, Natalia said with her mouth full. Oh, dear. If this is broken... You will need at least a month off to heal. Perhaps two. Natalia's eyes widened. Two months? Oh no, that would not be acceptable. Staying off the trapeze for a week or two would give her a respite from Harry's betrayal and disrupt his show. But a longer postponement would render her entirely useless to the circus. No! Harry will not wait that long. He will replace me. Ida grew quiet. What is it? I didn't think much of it this morning when I went to fetch breakfast, but, uh... Natalia glared at her. But what? 
that there was a line of girls outside Monroe's office. He usually attracts a lot of auditions these days, but these girls, well, they kind of looked like you. They had dance shoes and ballerina outfits. Sure seems as though he's looking to replace you already. He had a line of dancers here in the early morning, which meant he must have placed an ad in the local paper a day or two before. He intended to oust her not because she had injured her foot, but because she had confronted him on his betrayal. She stood up and struggled to set her broken foot on the floor without placing much weight on it. Honey, be careful, Ida exclaimed. Natalia reached for Ida's arm. Help me, she said to Ida, the first time she had said that to any human being. Ida was puzzled, but obliged anyway. She made it across the large open field to Harry's trailer one step at a time, hobbling along with Ida's support. She pushed her way past the line of dancers and flung the door open, interrupting an audition with a teenage girl, no older than Natalia had been when she first met Mr. Scott. She looked at the girl with disdain, and one word managed to come from her mouth. Out! The girl shot a look at Harry, who motioned for her to stay put. Get out! Tolly, just the person I was coming to see. I'd like you to meet Dorothy, our new acrobat. Dorothy lit up with excitement. Clearly, she had not been made aware of her success until this moment. Ida, be a dear and tell the other girls they can go home. And Tolly, why don't you head back to your room and rest? I'll be by to further discuss this matter with you later on. He turned his attention to Dorothy. And you, my darling. Congratulations. Please return here tomorrow morning at ten sharp. We need to discuss your acts, get you onto the trapeze, and, of course, make sure you're up for the physical exertion of the job. Dorothy beamed. Natalia erupted with rage. The vase full of pink roses sat within Natalia's reach near the door. Without thinking, she grabbed it and hurled it straight at Harry's head. He ducked, barely, and the vase smashed against the wall, scattering pink rose petals and shards of glass all over the room. Natalia stormed out as best she could with her imperfect balance. Ida spit on the floor. Pig. She snapped at Harry, then slammed the door behind her. Natalia did her best to rush back to her own wagon, tugging on Ida to hurry up and pull her faster. Slow down, you're gonna hurt yourself again! Ida pleaded, but Natalia didn't care. As soon as they made it to her front door, Natalia pulled away. Just leave me be! she said to her only friend as she stomped inside the wagon. Natalia trembled with fury, her breath heaving, her teeth clenched together so tight she could have broken them. She wanted more than anything to scream, but the image of the metal pot hurling toward her face as Mommy hit her flooded her mind and forced her to keep the screaming inside of her. All she could do was cry. She flung herself down on the bed and sobbed into her pillow. The cat, sensing her despair, hopped up onto the bed and curled up next to her. Through her tears, she managed to gently pet him on the head, grateful for his concern. With her face buried in the soft bedding, she did not notice her reflection sitting upright, staring at her. passed. The gates opened, the crowds gathered, and the shows began. Natalia had cried herself dry, and now clung to the simple satisfaction of knowing Harry would be without a headlining act for a while until Dorothy was properly trained. It had taken Natalia months to master each one of her acts, especially the trapeze, and she was more talented than most. It would take this novice much longer to figure out what she was doing. But it was of little consolation. She would need to find another place to live, another job, another life. This wagon would be Dorothy soon, though Natalia would be damned if she let her keep anything inside of it. Her bed, her costumes, her silk robes, her flowers, and especially the vanity and mirror were coming with her no matter where she went. Never again would she live in an empty room with ugly gray walls like she had in Surrette. She could stay here for now. The landscape was scenic. The flowers filled the air with their sweet smell in the afternoon heat, 
and the homes they passed on their way through the countryside were beautiful mansions surrounded by large swaths of land, nothing like the cold, concrete buildings she had known as a child. Natalia didn't delude herself into thinking one of those lovely homes could be hers, but even a small flat in some little town nearby would surely be enough for her and her precious things. A girl like Natalia could get along just fine here without any help, and if she didn't find this place to her liking after all, she could move on and start over as many times as she wanted. But as she considered such a life, her heart filled with resentment. Why should she have to go anywhere? This was her home, a home she had earned many times over. She seethed with anger, but also felt helpless and desperate for Harry to see what he saw in her in London all those years ago. If she could just get his attention for one more show, Harry would see that she belonged on the trapeze, broken foot or no broken foot. Tonight, Natalia decided she would prove it. the fire jugglers, were intended to be the last act of the evening in the absence of an aerial entertainer. The band was about to pack up for the night when they heard a whistle coming from the sky, and taking their cue like good musicians should, they played her song. For the first time, perhaps ever, Natalia felt nervous. She took an extra second to steady her breath, falling a beat or two behind the music. As she finally let go and glided into the air, she looked for Harry. Natalia had never concerned herself with the audience before, had never even noticed them until the very end of her act. The sudden awareness of hundreds of eyes watching her made her insides feel hollow. So far, Harry was nowhere to be found, and she worried that she was up here pushing through the pain of a broken bone for nothing. But even if he weren't here, someone would tell him about this extraordinary effort. Wouldn't they? The incessant thoughts were distracting her, and she fumbled on one of the bars, nearly falling all the way to the ground below. A few in the audience gasped. She needed to focus. She swung her legs over the bar and hung upside down in her favorite pose, but the pain of placing weight on her damaged leg was agonizing. She pulled herself up to a seated position and gently swung back and forth like a child on a playground. Just a few seconds, that was all she needed to find her center again. But she nearly fell backwards when she noticed it. Directly across from her, on the far side of the truss and in the exact same position, was the mirror image of herself. Another woman in her costume, with her hair and makeup set in the same fashion, staring at her. Glaring at her. This other woman had a sharp edge to her somehow, a kind of anger radiating from her body, but also possessed an unsettling, sly smile on her face. Natalia swung harder to recreate some momentum and reach the next bar in front of her. The other woman did the same. Natalia sat up, used her weight to twist in circles and wind up the ropes above her, then allowed them to unfurl and spin her in circles. The other woman did the same. Was it Dorothy? It had to be Dorothy. Had Harry given her the same costume and sent her up here to punish Natalia for this little act of desperation? How could he do something so awful, so humiliating? Natalia leapt to the next bar inching closer to the center of the tent. The other woman did the same. Closer now, Natalia could see that this was not Dorothy. The woman was Natalia. The other suddenly leapt again, breaking their synchronicity for the first time. Natalia's body filled with dread. She leapt again and Natalia found herself face to face with her double. Both sat on the trapeze bars like swings and stared at one another. Natalia immediately spotted the scar on her double's face dark and inflamed, as bad as it had been the day of the incident. The double swung herself hard and kicked Natalia in the legs. Scared and in need of leverage, Natalia stood up on the bar, placing all of her weight on her good foot, and carefully turned herself around, intending to make her way back to the platform and climb back down to safety. But just as she was about to let go, she felt a heavy thud in the small of her back. Her double had kicked her hard and Natalia's foot slipped off the bar. She kept her grip on the rope with one hand and avoided plummeting to the ground, but unintentionally looked down at the immense space below her, 
something she never did under normal circumstances, as even an accomplished acrobat such as herself could easily become afraid of falling from such a great height if she allowed herself to think about it. She looked up to see her double smiling that devilish, disturbing smile. Natalia squirmed and repositioned both hands on the bar, then focused on the platform. She swung back and forth with pain radiating from her broken foot through the entire right side of her body, wobbling and clinging to the bar like an amateur, scared and unsure of her own talent. But she made the jump anyway, and nearly cried with relief when she landed gracefully on the wooden platform. She longed for nothing more than a good night's sleep in her own bed and something, anything, to dull the excruciating pain. It was nearly unbearable, and it was taking a level of self-restraint Natalia had never known to avoid breaking down in tears in front of a hundred people. She lowered herself to her knees and gripped the rope ladder with trembling hands. As she began to climb down, she glanced behind her just in time to see the double land on the platform and tower over her. Slowly, the other woman kneeled down to look her straight in the eyes. They had the same eyes, the brownish-gray with tiny flecks of green. Suddenly, she gripped Natalia's shoulders and shoved her backward. Natalia stumbled, but managed to hold onto the ladder tight enough to keep from falling. Natalia looked at the ground below her. She could climb down the ladder safely and run back to her bed to enjoy one more night in her wagon before being banished from the circus and replaced with some young ingenue. Or she could let go. The frustration of dealing with Harry, the loneliness of constantly moving from town to town with no home or family, the fear of being left behind. It would all end if she just let go. But she didn't want to let go. She wanted to be here. The trapeze was her home. It certainly didn't belong to this thing that stared down at her now. Anger washed over her and she found a burst of energy that propelled her back up the ladder and onto the platform. The smug expression fell from the double's face as she was suddenly confronted with Natalia, the real Natalia, the Natalia who knew what she was doing here and was no longer afraid of her or of the great distance beneath them. Natalia shoved her back as hard as she could. Her double pushed off the platform enough to reach the first bar. Natalia followed, jumping onto the bar and standing on top of her double's hands as she dangled below. With her stronger foot, she stomped on the double's hand, causing her to jerk away, but not to fall. Natalia leapt to the next bar and swung with her usual grace. Even with the broken foot, she felt like herself again. Like a professional. Like a hummingbird. But this hummingbird was going to need to fight. In one swift motion, Natalia dropped from a standing position on the bar to hanging from it, again face to face with the double. She gathered all of her momentum to swing hard and kick the double straight in the face with her strong foot. The double jerked backwards and squirmed, knocked off balance. Now it was the impostor's turn to flee. She jumped to the platform, barely holding onto it with her fingertips. Natalia, seeing her rival struggle, decided it was time to shine. She let go and somersaulted through the air to the next bar. But as she prepared for her last jump back to the platform, the double instead leapt toward her, grabbing onto Natalia's broken foot and hanging from it. Natalia cried out in pain. She tried kicking the double with her stronger foot to no avail. The woman smiled again, appearing to take pleasure in the agony it was causing for Natalia. She began to climb up Natalia's leg as if she were a rope. Natalia squirmed and wiggled and tried to break free, but failed. She was heavy. Natalia could feel herself breaking a sweat, and sweaty palms meant that holding onto the bar would be impossible within the next few seconds. She needed to drop one of her arms in order to push the double away and loosen its grip around her body, but could not trust that she could hold so much weight with only one damp hand. But she had no other choice. She let go with her left hand and pushed the double's face away from her as hard as she could. The double stumbled and began losing her grip around Natalia's body. Natalia pushed her and hit her even harder, and the double nearly fell, but grabbed onto Natalia's free hand. They dangled there together, Natalia posing midair, a hummingbird holding the weight of the world on her tiny wing. Her grip on the bar would not last much longer. Their eyes met. Natalia saw the scar on the double's face and remembered that little girl back in Sorette. With the last ounce of energy Natalia could find within her, she stomped on the other woman's shoulder as hard as she could. And the double let go. Time seemed to slow as her double fell. 
The farther away she became, the less she appeared to be real. This imposter, this apparition, or whatever dreadful being she was, faded into thin air and disappeared entirely before reaching the dirt below. Natalia gathered her momentum and performed one last somersault from the bar to the safety of the wooden platform. The audience erupted in rapturous applause. The rain cascaded outside. Natalia emerged from the tent, dragging her shattered limb behind her. In so much pain, she would have fallen into the mud and crawled back to her wagon had Ida not seen her and come running to prop her up. As soon as they reached her room, she collapsed on the bed, her mind a storm of exhaustion, confusion, and pain, and fainted. Natalia awoke the next morning to see several of her circus brethren nearby. There was Ida, of course, and also the fire jugglers, Davy and Mikos, and even Belinda the snake charmer, without her snakes, to Natalia's relief. There she is, said Mikos. How are you feeling? Natalia felt a stabbing pain in the back of her head. She sat up, propping herself up with a pillow, and winced. Ida reached for a nearby pitcher and poured her a glass of ice water. Drink up, doll. You must be thirsty. You've been asleep for, uh... She looked over to Davy, who checked his pocket watch. Almost fourteen hours. Still dazed, Natalia noticed the cat curled up in a ball beside her. That little guy's been with you all night. I think he's looking out for you. Natalia smiled, just a little, and gently scratched its head. The cat purred. What happened last night? Natalia asked cautiously. She was fairly convinced it had all been a hideous nightmare, but she had never woken from any nightmare feeling as terrible as she felt now. Well, none of us were there for your performance, but we saw you stumble out of the tent afterwards, and boy, did you look terrible. So, we knew you'd gone ahead and done the act, even with your broken foot. Natalia noticed that her foot had been bandaged, wrapped in ice, and propped on a pillow that was not hers. A sudden feeling of warmth came over her. No one had ever done such a thing for her before. He that sure was brave, said Belinda. I can't imagine doing what you did in that kind of pain. And I'll tell you something else. That Harry Monroe is a son of a bitch for trying to get rid of you. Oh, he sure is, Davy agreed. But don't you worry about that now. We went ahead and took care of it. Natalia didn't quite understand what he meant but she had a strong feeling that Ida was behind whatever this was. Sure enough, Ida nodded. We all told him that if you go, we go. Yeah, and not just us. Peter the dog-faced boy, Irving with the tattoos, and the whole band agreed. Absolutely. Natalia's eyes welled up with tears. She couldn't find the words to thank them, but she didn't need to. Ida saw her about to cry and wrapped her arms around her. Don't worry, doll. Everything's gonna be just fine. You need to get some rest now. Let yourself heal. I'll bring you some dinner in a little while. The group took their leave, and Natalia began to sob. Why? She was not entirely sure. She was not going to be replaced. She would not have to start over in a dusty town full of strangers. She was home, and she was going to be all right. Natalia took in the quiet of the empty room for a moment before noticing that her vanity mirror, the possession she treasured most in the world, had broken in two. joining me for today's episode of The Witch and Other Tales of the American Gothic. Special thanks to our amazing voice actors, Monique Carmona, Shannon Spangler, Scott K. Leslie, Daryl Lathan, and Ian M. Walker for lending their talent to these characters. Thanks to our friends Brian Taylor, Joe Carrillo, and Dara Stone for their support, 
And of course, to my favorite composer slash audio engineer slash human, Robinson Hobbs. For more stories from The Witch and other tales of the American Gothic, subscribe to our podcast or check out the book at jessicahobbswrites.com. Join us next time in the Irish tenements of Philadelphia, where the old world superstitions we learned as children may or may not stay in the past. In the story of the immigrant. See you there.